Good morning. It's great to be with you all this morning. Um, I know we've had some problems with the projector, but as we're worshiping together, I thought this is kind of what it was like growing up to have the power go out, right? You know, and you got the candles. It's kind of like, oh, this is neat. Yeah, the candles are our, our cell phones, I guess, as we're looking up the lyrics to the songs. That's probably the, the representation there. But it's great to be with you guys. Uh, we're in Psalms 1 and 2 this morning, and I just want to ask you to bow your heads with me in a word of prayer as we begin. Oh, Father, we come before you appealing for your help, for your mercy, for your grace to be expressed to us once again through your word. Uh, Lord, we need your spirit to work within our hearts. We need your spirit to empower my words that try to express what you said in your word. Uh, Lord, that we would all be changed to be more like Jesus. Lord, that if we're discouraged in our faith, we'd be built up in our faith. Lord, if we have been worshiping uh, freely other things this week, that we would be led away from, from those false things to, to worshiping Jesus and to finding blessing and flourishing and hope and joy in him alone. Oh God, we ask that you would exalt Jesus Christ for us to see and to worship right now in his name and for your eternal glory and for our good. Amen. So this morning I'm wondering uh, if your people who would like to be blessed... Is that true? Yeah. Would you like to be happy? Would you like to be a flourishing person? We all, we all would, wouldn't we? And maybe there's a couple people I didn't hear. All of you answered yes, so we'll pray for you afterwards. Uh, but all of us generally want to be blessed, want to be happy, want to flourish. And that, that's not something that's unique to us as people. It's something that we see all around us, even in this city in Vancouver, isn't it? What about, um, what about the, the different... Uh, organizations or companies that are represented in Vancouver. All of, all of these organizations and companies, all these things in our life, they, they present different options for us, different pathways to their version of blessing and flourishing, don't they? Right. What about, uh, what about Lululemon as an example? And they're here in Vancouver, right? I mean, they exist in pursuit of a particular picture of blessing. And, and the message that I get from them is that if I just have more athleisure wear, I'll be a blessed, happy person. That's true? It's, yeah, it's true. Doug's saying amen. Um, <clears throat> but that's not really their message, actually, is it? Their message is more than that. Their message is that if you have a, a lifestyle of balance and of health, then, then you're going to have a blessed, flourishing life. So it's not unique to Lululemon, though. We also see it in things like, what about City Hall? You know, I get to drive by City Hall now in Vancouver, so the beautiful buildings. But that, that City Hall is filled with all these people that are working together to achieve a particular picture of blessing and flourishing for the city. Is that not true? Right? If we have more, more bike lanes, I mean, praise the Lord for bike lanes. I ride my bike every day. If we have better parks, right? If we have more affordable housing, if we have, uh, I, I don't know, more beauty or whatever it is that we're working towards in this city, we will achieve flourishing and blessing for all. But it's not just Vancouver. What about our country? What about Canada? I don't know if you know this, but one of the tenets that our government is built on is this principle. And we're, we're in pursuit of, uh, of peace, of order, and good government. It's written into our Constitution. Written to the Constitution of all the uh, Commonwealth nations, actually. But why do we pursue those things? Why do we pursue peace and order and good government? Isn't it that we think that if we have those things, if we have peace, order, and good government, we'll actually achieve flourishing and blessing in this country? That's the idea, isn't it? We're all aimed at this, this end. 
But here's a question for you. Has anyone delivered this to you? Has anyone delivered on this promise of blessing and flourishing for you? Did buying a new pair of joggers do it for you? You know, as human beings, we're profoundly, I think, aware of all of our need for blessing, but finding it's elusive, right? Finding it's difficult. No one seems to achieve it at all. But this morning, I actually, I want to, I want to show you that there is someone who has achieved this blessing. And, and I want to show you this, this blessed man, and I want to invite you to worship him with me. And to find all of your blessing and all of your hope for flourishing in him. So this morning we're going to look, like I said, at Psalms 1 and 2. And, uh, and if you're wondering why on earth we're tackling two psalms instead of one, because, I mean, that's really simple to do one, but two seems weird. Uh, believe me, I asked myself the same question many times this week as I try to prep this message. Um, man, all the staff members know because I was agonizing about it. And, uh, uh, but there's a reason, there's a method to the madness here. And the reason is this, at the time when the book of Psalms was organized, the people weren't in exile anymore like they were in the book of Daniel that we just finished. So if you were here for us, with us in the series on Daniel, we know the people of exile, or of Israel were in exile. They're not in exile any longer when the book was arranged here. But when the, when they, when they were writing and they were arranging the book of the Psalms, what was happening was that they're back in the land, they've been rebuilding, they tried to rebuild the temple and the city, but they were facing opposition and persecution from all over the place. And for them, blessing and happiness and flourishing, it was actually hard to find. So when they're organizing these psalms and taking all these psalms that have been written for all this long period of time and putting them in order like we have today, this conflict simmered all around God's people. And they were even controlled, you ought to know, by different superpowers, the, the Persian, the Greece, and all those things that we talked about in the series on Daniel. And as they took these psalms, as they arranged them, they were led by the Holy Spirit. That's important for us to understand. The order we have, I think, is Holy Spirit-inspired. Even, ju- not just the words, but the order as well. And, and the Holy Spirit led them to arrange the psalms in a way that reflected their longing and their hope in God's ancient promises for his people. That blessing and flourishing would come. And these two psalms, and that they're filled with a sense of longing— they're, they're put in order together to be the red and the blue lens of those old school 3D glasses for us. To present for us not just one portrait or two, or, or two portraits separately, but one portrait together of the king that they longed for. Of the king who was coming to bring blessing and flourishing as the one blessed and happy man who would spread his blessing and his flourishing to his people. All right, that's a lot. That's, uh, that's just a brief word on this arrangement here, but we have a simple outline before us, so hopefully that helps us this morning. Our outline as we get going then is that we see two portraits here, together combined into one portrait of the king. And number one, we see in Psalm 1 that Jesus flourishes because he loves God's word. Jesus is a blessed man because he loves God's word. And then number two, we're going to see in Psalm 2 that Jesus is blessed or he flourishes as the king because he is loved by God. So Jesus, the blessed man flourishing, the lover of God's word in Psalm 1. Jesus, the blessed man who flourishes as the king that's loved by God in Psalm 2. So look with me, open your Bibles. I guess we'll 
actually be opening our Bibles or our apps on the phone this morning uh, to take a look at this first portrait of Jesus. Jesus flourishes because he loves God's word. Read Psalm 1, verse 1 with me as we, be, as we get going. Just the very beginning of the verse. Blessed is the man. Or we could say, blessed is the one. And notice that that first word, notice that first word is blessed. The whole book of the Psalms, I think we need to see here, begins with this topic of blessing. And not just the, the first line or the first topic in Psalm 1, but also if you look at the pair of Psalms 1 and 2, look then at the last line of the second Psalm in uh, verse 12. Again, the topic of blessing. It's kind of sandwiching the hole that's in the middle. 2 verse 12. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So these two Psalms are bookended with statements of blessing and flourishing and happiness. That Hebrew word that, that we translate into blessedness has a sense of, of vibrancy, a fullness of life, even of happiness or of a hashtag bless if you want to be relevant. But we need to understand that where these Psalms present this positive picture of blessing and flourishing in Jesus, they actually do so against a stark backdrop of those who don't flourish, of those who perish instead. We saw that when we read the Psalms together this morning. But let's start first with the positive picture of the blessed man. Let's read uh, all of verses 1 and 2 together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You know, the blessed person here is the one who's got a particular relationship with God's word. We need to see that. This person doesn't listen to the counsel that's opposed to God's word, to those mockers of God's word, to the revilers and the the ridiculers of God's word, but he does the opposite in verse 2. Look at verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He delights that he obeys it. He loves to give himself to it. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So here's a question for you. How many, how many voices that don't listen to God's word, that mock it and that scoff it, are outside these doors telling you where to find blessing? Are there a lot of them? All over the place. There's plenty of them. But notice this. Through all of those voices... The blessed man takes care not to find his instruction for life from those voices, but from a diligent rootedness on God's word. You see that here. They turn, this blessed man, he turns this this word of God over in his mind again and again and again. That word for meditate is an interesting word that refers like an automatopoeia to the chewing of of the cud or the the muttering of doves and the pictures of the guy that's going around talking about God's word under his breath. It's kind of interesting, huh? This is is somebody who's thinking about it all the time, who's devoting himself to God's word. And what does the psalm say is the result of that treasuring and that loving devotion of God's word? Well, look with me at verse 3. This is the result. The person who does this, who gives himself to this word, he, the person delighting in God's law, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers. It's a picture of flourishing, isn't it? It's a picture of flourishing. And that's, that's the blessed person here in this psalm. 
But remember, remember that, uh, that I said that these psalms portray that blessed person against the backdrop, right? The backdrop, not of the blessed, but of the perishing. So let's turn now and look at the perishing person, the counterpoint here. We see that in <clears throat> verses 4 and also at the end of verse 6. I'm going to read um, just verse 4 and the end of verse 6 here. The wicked, those who mock and those who scoff at God's word, they're not so. They're not flourishing. They're not prospering in all that they do. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. The way of the wicked, again, at the end of verse 6, it says, will perish. You know, I'm wondering this morning if you see how countercultural these words are. You and I don't walk out the door of this building very often and ask someone, how do you think we should flourish? And they say, you know, you need to read the Bible and obey it. Uh, I, I mean, last time I checked, that's not the common answer. But we need to see here that the Bible claims, the Bible makes a claim. And the claim is this. The claim is that the flourishing blessed person is the one that meditates and delights and obeys in God's word. And the perishing person is actually the one who mocks and scoffs it and ridicules it and turns away from it. That's the claim. And I'll grant, I'll grant this. You might be sitting here wondering, is that really true? Is that, is that really true? Convince me, Brian. I, I, I'm not buying it. Why the Christian Bible anyway? Why is this one special? Well, let's start with this. We don't actually believe that this is, this is our Bible. We believe that this is something that's been given to us for our flourishing by a good and sovereign God. If you read 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it's a very familiar verse for a lot of us who love God's word. But it's this declaration from a guy named Paul in the New Testament who said, all scripture is breathed out by God. Its origin isn't fundamentally ours. Its origin is from God. And we believe that the God that gave us the Bible, not only gave us the Bible, but he actually made us. And he made this world. And if that's true, then you'd have to admit that he, God, who made us and made this world, he probably knows more than we do about how to flourish in it. Isn't that true? He built the universe and everything in it. So his wisdom for how to operate within the universe as a human being is the most probable path to flourishing that there is. It's like this. You can think about the universe as a, green, as a block of wood, right? And, and every block of wood has an orientation to the green in the wood, right? If you live with the orientation of the green of that wood, there's blessing and flourishing. If you live against it, there's splinters. And then, moreover, I think we need to recognize, too, that, that God isn't the ruler of the universe like some kind of dystopian tyrant. That's not, how, that's not how he rules this universe. His rule of the universe is actually more like this. His rule is more of the careful concern of a gardener that is looking for all the ways to bring his garden to fruition and flourishing and blessedness. And to carry on that metaphor, God is our gardener. He doesn't just garden at arm's length, right? He didn't just stay far away from us and, uh, you know, good luck, have fun in the garden. But he actually left us his care plan for each of us as his plants. He left us his version of better homes and gardens so that we could read it, right? So we could understand this is the pathway to blessing and to flourishing. So that's the claim of the Bible. It's kind of blowing it up a little bit and explaining some of these things to you. But you might still be doubting that truth. And I'm just going to suggest to you that if you're doubting this truth, you're doubting my claim, you do so actually in the face of some fairly objective evidence 
that is well recognized by philosophers and historians and scholars. And the evidence is this, is that it's widely acknowledged that even the things that we care most about in our Western civilization, our democracies, our care about justice, our, our love for others, right? The love for the poor here in Vancouver that's even seen in our city is not because they can do a lot for us. It's because of an other-centered ethic of love. These scholars recognize that all these things that we care most about that objectively have led more than anything else to flourishing in our world as a Western civilization, these things are rooted and found directly in the Bible. They come from a Judeo-Christian ethic of love and justice. They don't come from anywhere else. They don't come from atheism. They don't come from paganism. They don't come from whatever-ism. They come from the Bible. That's important for us to realize. The claim of God's word in Psalm 1 is that following God's word leads to flourishing as we obey the instructions of the gardener for our good. But here's the problem. This is where we see that this psalm points us to Jesus. Because even with this incredible word of God that we have, do we obey it fully? No, we don't, do we? Do we see anywhere on this planet where it's obeyed and lived out fully? We, we don't. We don't. But here's the good news. God didn't leave us alone to try and sort this out ourselves. He sent Jesus to us. Our hope isn't in our ability to be the blessed man of chapter 1 by ourselves. Our hope is that the blessed man came. That Jesus came and that he was blessed as he lived fully in obedience to God's word. Our hope is in him. Our hope's in him. This psalm points us to Jesus and his full obedience. Do you know that when, when Jesus came into this world, in the Gospel of John, we read it. There's a story about Jesus' life. We read in John 1, verse 14, about Jesus. It says, And the word, it's the word of God, that's what we're talking about in this psalm. And the word became flesh. It's Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus loved and he obeyed God's word perfectly. And because he did, he is like a stream. Or he is like a tree planted by streams of water. He is the one whose leaf does not wither. He is the one that in whatever he does, he prospers. That's Jesus. Our hope's in him. So Psalm 1 is ultimately about Jesus, the flourishing, truly blessed man who loved and obeyed God's word. But there's still a question here for us, because we might agree, okay, granted, Jesus is that blessed, flourishing man. But there's a question, isn't there? That's just him. He's just blessed. If he's going to be my savior, if he's going to be your savior, how does his blessing extend to you? And this is why we need to see the portrait of Jesus, the second lens of those 3D goggles in Psalm 2. Because we need to see that this blessed man was exalted to the place as king over a kingdom. And in that place, as king over his kingdom, he is able to extend the blessing that he alone earns to everyone who takes refuge in him. That's what we're going to see in Psalm 2. Psalm 2, to, to, to see that, we need to, to see the second point here, that Psalm 2 portrays Jesus as the flourishing king, because he is loved by God. Maybe I should repeat that. Yeah, I'm going to repeat that. Um, so the idea here, guys, is that 
is that we see Jesus in Psalm 1, and he's the one who earned the blessing, right? He's the one who's blessed. But, but how does that blessing come to you and I? Right? We see that happening only as Jesus is not just a blessed man, but a blessed man exalted to a rule and a reign. So that he can extend the blessing that he earned as the king to everyone who comes into his kingdom and takes refuge in him. All right, hopefully that made a little more sense. Uh, this leads to our second point then this morning, that, that talking Psalm 2, Jesus flourishes as a king because he's loved by God. And as we look at the first part of the psalm, it's actually going to start negatively. It's going to start with a picture of those opposed to the rule of King Jesus. So look at Psalm 2, 1 to 4 and see, see those who are opposed to the rule of King Jesus. It says, it's a question, kind of a flabbergasted, why on earth sort of question. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. So what we have in these first two verses is actually this, the zooming in of the picture of the wicked that we're given in Psalm 1. And we see that the particular expression here of their, of their rejecting God's word is manifested in their rejecting God's rule and reign over them through his king. They look at God, they look at anything from him, and they think, they think of, of it as bonds to be burst apart, chains to be exploded off of them. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 23 to 25, James actually calls God's law the perfect law of liberty. It's the perfect law of freedom. But these people in verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 2, they don't see God's law that way. They don't see God's rule as bringing freedom, but the opposite. You know, I don't think that their opinion of God's rule, their opinion of God's law is exclusive to 1000 BC, is it? Right? Isn't it fairly common to think that, that the Bible is something that, the Bible and even the rule of Jesus is something that's restrictive for us? Right? That's, that's a common sentiment. And even this week, I had several conversations with and about some people who are really tempted right now to find their freedom by throwing off the Bible, and by rejecting Jesus' commands and his rule of our lives. Some of these people said things like this. Sometimes, sometimes people portray this not as, not as uh, uh, bursting bonds, but as, as moving forward in freedom, right? They say, we need to go beyond the Bible. They don't talk about rejecting God's rule and his word. They talk about, we just need to go beyond it, right? God's, God's rule, that's all good in the Bible, it's fine. But I'm just, I'm just forging ahead right now because I want to be happy. And I want people to be happy. And I just find the Bible is restrictive. People like this, uh, they think flourishing and blessing and happiness are found in their own autonomy away from God. They wonder with the rest of our culture, and our culture is famously a very much a culture based on self-assertion, right? Self-actualization. And they wonder, in that context, how could saying no, how could submitting to any other authority over what I want, how could that be a good thing that leads to my flourishing and blessing? Isn't that the question that's asked? They don't, they don't see it. 
But here's the answer. The way that, that submission, the way that saying no and submitting to the king and to his word could lead to flourishing is because not all freedom is good. And not everything that I want leads to my blessing and to my happiness. Have you found that to be true? Not all freedom leads to flourishing. For example, take my life. There's all kinds of things, there's all kinds of things that I want. Just in the arena of food. If I could if I could eat whatever I wanted all the time, my life expectancy would be 42. And I'd be in agony and pain. Some of you guys know I have some dietary issues. <laughs> like, this would be a rough, a rough life. But I'd be eating those donuts and that pizza. Oh, and I'd be happy for a short period of time. <laughs> or on the other hand, I'm, I'm also a relatively healthy, I hope, uh, young male. And I have a, I have a sexual appetite. But what if I what if I wanted to exercise that sexual appetite outside of of God's law? I mean, it wouldn't be flourishing for me, right? It, it would hurt my it would hurt my wife. It would hurt my marriage. It would be devastating to my son. And I'm going to suggest it would be devastating for all of you guys, just because the fact that I that I'm, I'm serving here in ministry. You know, some of my friends have even told me things like like this. They said. You know, you know, Brent, I'm just sick and tired of restrictions. I don't like it when people tell me what to do. But if you look at people's lives who live like that, they're in chaos or fastly heading toward chaos and destruction. It's not leading to flourishing. You know, I think that we feel, we only feel the freedom to try to throw God's bonds off, to rebel against them because we're living in a period of grace and he hasn't called the chips in yet. Isn't that true? Verses 4 to 5 communicate something else, though. They they communicate with crystal clarity that living your life against God's word and against God's rule will absolutely end badly for you. Resistance resistance to God's rule is futile. Look at verse 4 with me, and we'll see how this is portrayed. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. We need to know that God laughs at those who try to rebel against him. He laughs at their scheming. He laughs at their plans to throw off his rule. He laughs at their feeble attempts to exert their own autonomy in opposition to him. They are not going to succeed. You know, I remember being a young kid, like say five years old, and I, like lots of young kids, I love to wrestle. I love to wrestle my dad. Right? And I'd, I'd grab hold of him and try and, and, and knock him over and knock him down. But I I knew intimately that, that no matter how hard I tried, I wouldn't win. Right? I might as well have been grabbing onto the leg of an elephant and not the leg of my dad because it's not going to accomplish much as a five-year-old kid. But if I had said, said to my dad, if I turned to him and said, you know, dad, I'm a five-year-old kid and you've got another thing coming. Right? And I'm going to pin you and you're going to be the one who's going to have to cry out to mercy for me. I mean, he would have laughed. He would have laughed. Or, according to Fred... If I tried to wrestle him, he'd break my ribs. He tells me that all the time. And he tells me that because he says, he says that old age and treachery always win over youthful exuberance. <laughs> so Fred, I mean, you can talk to Fred about this and, and you know, weigh his character as you'd like, but that, that's his assurance to me. <laughs> 
You know, it's funny, but, but God laughs. And that's not funny. God laughs because he has established his king. And who could possibly dethrone the king that God has set up? Look at verses 5 to 6. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, on my holy hill. I mean, you have to hear the tone here properly. This is a, this is a statement of 100% certainty and confidence in your position of strength. The omnipotent, powerful God over all, he's established his king, Jesus Christ, and he will not be dethroned. He will not be dethroned. In fact, look at verse 9. God's promise to his king is that the wicked rebels who oppose him, they'll actually be crushed under his rule. Verse 9 says, You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You know, that's just picking up the idea in chapter 1, verse 4, actually, that the wicked are like the chaff. The wind blows away. It's a way of the perishing in opposition to God and his king. To get a picture of this, we actually have a picture from history about how, how this has happened at one point, we can all observe. After, after the Nuremberg trials, uh, certain of, of Hitler's leading men, they were, they were tried, they were executed, and they were cremated. And they were actually, their ashes were all put into the, a single container, and they were put on the back of a truck, and they were driven through, uh, through the, the Bavarian countryside, and they were driven outside of Munich, and they were dumped in a ditch. They were dumped in a ditch. Five or six years earlier, those men's names were the names that you would have, you would have said them trembling, you know, under, under the candlelight in your living room, just fearful, in terror. And now, being washed away by the rain. The wicked are like chaff, with, with, but the wind blows away. There's a warning here for us because opposition to God's word and his King Jesus, it might seem right at the time, but it will only lead to your destruction. But on the other hand, we can look at the testimony of Jesus here. The king that God loves and the way that God promises to Jesus this incredible flourishing and blessing. Look at that with me in verses 7 to 9. And the words that Jesus says to us. He says, The Lord said to me, Yahweh, God over all, said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. And the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You know, many years later, after this psalm was written, after Jesus was born, after he was crucified, after he was buried and raised again to life, another man quoted this psalm. The apostle Paul used this psalm to preach the good news of the gospel by quoting these verses in Acts 13. And Paul did that because he knew that, that Psalm 2 was not ultimately about King Jesus, or King David, sorry, who likely wrote it. King David had received these promises from God that, that this psalm in some ways certainly reflects. But, but, saw, uh, but, but Paul knew that, that King David died. And these promises weren't 
completely fulfilled for him. But a millennia later, a king that was descended from David, one of David's sons, was resurrected from the dead to fulfill God's promises to David and to sit at the right hand of God the Father on high. All that blessing and flourishing God promised to David a long time ago, now fulfilled through Jesus, the one who's resurrected. And, and Paul knew that. So look at how Paul preached the gospel in Acts 13, 32 to 33, and then I'm going to read 36 to 37. Paul preaches, and we bring you the good news. That's the gospel. That what God promised to the fathers, that's the flourishing and blessing that God promised to his people. Paul says this, these blessings, he's fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then in verse 36, Paul says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, well, he died. And he was buried. He saw corruption. It just means that he decayed. He says, but he whom God raised up, that's Jesus, the one who God resurrected, he did not see corruption. He was raised to this place of kingship as the one who's received these promises of God and fulfilled them. You know, we might tell our kids, I think we do this sometimes, that, that the world is their oyster, right? But isn't that kind of an empty platitude? And there's, not much, there's not much there, is there, of substance. But on the other hand, if, if the God of the universe, if he promises you the entire world as your possession, if the God of the universe resurrects you to reign with him eternally with all opposition placed firmly beneath your feet, that's another thing entirely. That's another thing entirely. And just stop and think with me for a second at how much God must love his son to give him all of this. This, and you know, it's been a, a lot of things in this psalm already, but, but this is about love. This is Jesus as the king who is the beloved of God. I mean, I love my son, Aryan. I delight in my son, Aryan, but not like God the Father delights in his son, Jesus Christ. I've watched numerous fathers delight in their children. We've seen them do that in incredible ways, but not like this. This is a picture of, of the father throwing his son into the air and the son laughing and the father smiling and just sheer delight and enjoyment in the son. This is that Instagram feed that bothers you a little bit, right? Because it's got all those posts of those kids and you're like, enough already, right? But they're there because that person delights in their kid. They love their kid. I mean, God delights in his son and he's promised him the ends of the earth, God's declared over Jesus and Jesus alone the words of Mark 1, verse 11 at his baptism. He says, You are my son, and with you I am well pleased. God said that about Jesus. Jesus flourishes in Psalm 2 as king precisely because he's loved by God as his son. And if that's the case, and if you want to flourish and be blessed too, you have to hear the instructions of verses 10 to 12. Look at them with me. Verses 10 to 12 of Psalm 2. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear 
and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Look, these psalms were were placed together in the hope that Jesus would come. And he has come. These psalms are hope-filled anticipations in him, the one who's received the blessing. So how do we share in them? By the end of chapter 2, verse 12, we share these blessings this way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And we need to hear these words. And we need to hear these words because we are actually characters in this passage too. I don't know if you saw that. But we're not the beloved son. On our own, we're not the beloved son. We're, we're the wicked who try to overthrow him. And you might object to that. You might say, Brent, why do you say that? Well, you know the way that, that we've talked about already, that you don't love God's word fully? You don't obey God's word fully in Psalm 1? That's an expression of your rebellion against God. Because your failure to love God's word and to love God's king are because you love your word and you want to be king. Your failure to love God's word and to love God's king are because you love your word and you want to be king. We're the wicked that deserve the end of Jesus' scepter. But you know what we're offered? We're offered refuge in Jesus. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. These words are for us. Resistance to Jesus' reign we've seen is futile, but we've been offered a way of escape. We've been offered the most glorious armistice in the history of the world to come into the kingdom and receive all that he's earned and all that blessing and have it ourselves because he, as King Jesus, was willing to be crushed for you. Because he poured out his life to death for you so that you could receive the blessing that he alone has earned and be raised with him to eternal life and the hope of eternal blessing and flourishing in him. Oh man, to be blessed, guys, we don't have to earn it. We don't have to follow a certain diet. We don't have to maintain a certain reputation even. To be blessed, there's one thing to do. You need to obey the word of God by submitting to Jesus and taking refuge in him. That's what you need to do. And if you take refuge in Jesus, the very love of God that we see in this psalm, it's given to you. It's given to you. The flourishing that is promised to the obedient lover of God's word, who is Jesus, is given to you. Man, you want blessing? Look, look at this verse. Look at verse 17, sorry, chapter 17, verse 23 in the Gospel of John. Look what Jesus says. Jesus prays to his Father, and he says, O Father, may the world see that you loved them, the rebels, the sinners, you and I who've been opposed to God and his rule. You loved them, it says, even as you loved me. Let that sit on you. Through Jesus, taking refuge in Jesus, we have the very love of the Father poured out on us. Man, do you think that God is going to allow you to perish if you've taken refuge in Jesus? He's poured out his love for you. 
He's going he's to cause you to flourish in his kingdom. He's going to resurrect you to reign, to rejoice in the new heavens and new earth with him forever in his presence. So let's just wrap things up here then. You know, as we do so, I'm just kind of wondering a couple things. What's your reaction to these, these psalms this morning? I think there's two possible reactions here. I think one, do you see Jesus as a glorious, beloved king who ought to be embraced and submitted to? Or two, do you see Jesus as an enemy to oppose? You know, maybe this morning you're someone who's, who's scoffing at the word of God and you're the person that feels like it's a chain that's tying you down. Maybe you really sense that. Maybe that's, that's where you're at. You're like, I'm just struggling with this. I don't want to obey this word. Would you, would you please hear this message? And would you consider, and would you, be, would you be warned to see that, that embracing Jesus is the way to blessing? There's no other way. The things you're pursuing, they're going to they're gonna fade away. But Jesus is an exalted, resurrected king who is able to give you blessings. You take refuge in him. Or maybe you're someone... You've been here for a while, this church, and you're, and you're thinking that maybe it's time to leave Jesus. You're thinking, you know, maybe there's something better somewhere else. Maybe I'm going to find flourishing next door. Maybe I'm going to find it in one of these things we've talked about in Vancouver. Man, wouldn't you hear the words of Jesus' disciples that say, they said to Jesus, Jesus, to whom else will we go? For you have the words of eternal life. You know what they're saying? They're saying, Jesus, where else can we turn? Because you have the words that lead to flourishing and blessing eternally. There's nowhere else to go. Hear that and repent and come back to Jesus, I ask you. Or maybe you're someone, maybe you're someone who's like this. Maybe, maybe you, you like to have a little picture of Jesus in, in your mind and in your heart where he's Jesus meek and mild, right? And you've, and you've erased the Jesus with the iron scepter, Right? You like to serve a truncated version of Jesus that lets you get away with what you want. Man, I, I pray, I hope you see how dangerous that is. I hope you know that, that Jesus in these Psalms is portrayed as one who crushes opposition and rebellion. He doesn't cheerfully tolerate it. You know, in these two Psalms, there's a challenge to all of us not to fight Jesus but to willingly submit ourselves to him in greater and greater ways, finding our flourishing and our blessing in him. I mean, once you, once you cry out to God for that with me, seek that blessing is found in him. We need to remember that in this world and in our lives, there's not a square inch that Jesus has not declared over. It's mine. And we need to live like that's true. You know, Vancouver offers us all kinds of pathways to flourishing and blessing. But I think that we need to see in the face of the hashtag blessed culture all around us, the Bible offers a profoundly different path. And it's a hopeful path. I think it's a path that I hope you've seen is the path. And it's this. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Please pray with me. Oh, Father, we come before you this morning as those who, who are challenged. Lord, those of us who, who love you and who are walking with you, we're challenged. Those of, of us maybe who, who aren't sure that this is even true, Lord, we, we just pray that you would speak to their hearts. Lord, we pray that for all of us, you would, 
you would elevate Jesus in our minds, in our hearts, and help us to see that, that, that he is true, that your word is true, that, that you've exalted Jesus as the king who is blessed and able to bring blessing to his people. Oh God, help us to find love and satisfaction and joy in you and you alone through your beloved king, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.